Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So have you ever been lost? Just straight up, whether literally lost, physically lost somewhere, or that metaphorical sense where you're just feeling lost and your wheels are just spinning. I've experienced this more times than I actually care to admit, um, but I remember the first time I got lost driving because I got my G2 here in Ontario and I decided to pick up some friends and drive to Toronto. And I thought, how hard can it be? I know where Toronto is. You can kind of see it as you're going and there's lots of signs to get you there. So my friends and I pile in the car. We drive to Toronto. And that wasn't the worst part until we got off the highway and started navigating downtown Toronto. And suddenly I became so scared because there were trolley cars or whatever they're called whipping up beside me. Luckily, most of them were nice to screech on their brakes and hammer their horn before they hit us. And I'm turning around and I had no idea where I was going. And I remember this one instance that I almost get hit by the trolley car and then I'm like, okay, I'll turn onto this street and get a break away from the trolley and the track that we're following. And I start driving down the next street and suddenly there's lights coming straight at me. And my friends are like, Kev, we're on a one-way street. So suddenly we whip onto the next street, only to see more cars coming at us this way. And I was just panicked. So we luckily pulled into a driveway, almost hit a silver BMW, which I remember thinking, man, if I hit that car, I wouldn't be driving for the rest of my life. It, uh, it was an adventure that I couldn't wait to be over. I did not enjoy being lost by any means. And once I got back to the highway and I could follow signs back to Hamilton. It was smooth sailing from there. But being lost and disoriented in a new place can be scary, overwhelming, unnerving, to say the least. And I think it's very similar to those times that we also go through these seasons of feeling lost and disoriented, whether emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and I don't think we can necessarily compartmentalize any of those things because we're holistic beings. But the lostness, that feeling of just the unknown and what's on the other side and where am I is just overwhelming and scary. And I have to admit that I've been praying for several months on what to, what to preach on for the summer months. And we had Alpha lined up, and that was a fantastic series. And I'm like, yes, this is great. And then we had Easter, and we had a great celebration there. And I'm like, yes. And I'm praying all along, okay, God, what can I preach in the summer? Because I was mapping out the calendar, and just nothing was coming to me. So then we move into the Gospel Fluency series. And that was a good series, and, and I was enjoying it. But I think I also mentioned this several times throughout my messages. There was something in that series that also just agitated me. God was doing something in my life throughout that series. And he was convicting me of several areas of my life, even several areas of ministry. But I believe that while I was kind of going through this searching and lost season of even just trying to figure out where to preach in the summer, I did something that I usually do. Rather than being raw and authentic and vulnerable and truly 
honest with how the gospel was being played out in my life and how it was shaping me and transforming my heart, what I did was I pulled away. And I often do this if I'm feeling confused, disoriented, overwhelmed. I, I start to withdraw and I kind of resort back to what's comfortable and what's safe. I erred to the side of safety. I erred to the side of protection. And I chose to guard myself a little bit more than usual from what I was actually preaching. And I felt like the words that I was preaching, I, I felt like they were the words I should preach, that I, I felt was expected to be shared, rather than doing the hard work of articulating what I was learning in and through the gospel and what God was truly saying to me. And while I, what I spoke was true, I believe the biggest mistake that I made was that I made it too simple. I made it seem too easy. And don't get me wrong, the, the gospel itself is simple, but navigating that and living it out, fleshing that out in real life is anything but. And it was during this time that I was really agitated that I just cried out to God and I'm like, God, what can I do for the summer series? And that day, Psalms was laid on my heart. So welcome to our new series called Summer in the Psalms, Finding God in the Wilderness. I'm excited to dig into this. So I have to ask, though, why the Psalms? And the reason I believe the Psalms were laid so heavily on my heart is because the Psalms are a language and a framework for prayer, for worship, and for speaking of God in a searching and open way. In the Psalms, we're invited to voice the stuff that falls outside of the tidy, systematic lines. Because as Benedictine Sebastian Moore writes, God behaves in the Psalms in ways he is not allowed to behave in systematic theology. In systematic theology, you kind of have the development. If God is this, then he must be this. And, and you have this framework that gets built and established, and there's nothing wrong with it. But in the Psalms, God's able to behave outside of these lines because there's a rawness and there's an earthiness to the Psalms. What goes on in the Psalms is extremely in touch with what goes on in our life. They're not confessional statements. They're not doctrinal statements. They're not even correct theological thinking. The Psalms are ancient scripts for engagement with God. So they're not about technique. It's not about the right way to pray. It's not about technique at all, but it's rather about this honest and deeply authentic speech. And as Eugene Peterson puts it, the Psalms give us a language adequate for responding to the God who speaks to us. And as you're probably aware, Eugene Peterson is the author of the message translation of the Bible, which is a paraphrase of the original languages. And what I love is he was wanting to take the original languages of Scripture and put them into a contemporary language that we would understand today. And sometimes they're a little bit jarring. Sometimes they fall flat. But I think he did a beautiful job of making them accessible and making Scripture come to life. Because his heart as a pastor 
was to help people access the immense range and the terrific energies of prayer in the kind of language that is most immediate to us, which also happens to be the language in which these psalms were first expressed and written. And what's even cooler, I think, is the message translation actually was birthed out of the psalms. Eugene Peterson began translating the psalms in order to teach his congregation how to pray. And then from there, it picked up momentum, and he ended up translating the entire Bible. But it was another author who helped me think of the Psalms in a different way, by starting with questions. So one of the best questions to ask when reading the Bible, and particularly the Psalms for us this summer as we go through them, is why did people write this down in the first place? And then the other best question to ask is, why did this passage endure? Why is it still around? Why did it endure the test of time? Why have people literally risked their lives to ensure that this message gets passed down and shared from generation to generation? And a great thing happens when you begin raising these questions is that it actually begins raising more questions. Have you ever noticed that? You, you think you're going to go in and learn something and have all the answers, and then you kind of come out with a whole new set of questions? Your curiosity's peaked, and you begin digging in to Scripture. You begin questioning things, and rather than simply finding answers, you begin discovering that this whole new world begins to emerge. So why has this story or passage or verse or account resonated with people for this long? What does this teach us about what it means to be alive here in this world now? Which then leads us to this question. What is it that was true about this book or story or poem or letter for them at that time that's also true for us here and now? For example, from Psalm 13, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Or this one from Psalm 10, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or this one from Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? Or this one from Psalm 83 about enemies, make them like tumbleweed, terrify them with your storm, cover their faces with shame, may they perish in disgrace. Anger, hurt. Isolation, vengeance, rage, betrayal, it's all there in the Psalms. There's a lot of God is good in the Psalms, but there's a ton of where the heck are you? So the question is, why have these poems and prayers endured? Why thousands of years later do we still have them? The answer I believe you'll return to again and again is because they speak to our human experience. We relate. We know what the writer's talking about, especially the vicious stuff, the lines where God, the writer wants God to destroy their enemy. Who hasn't felt that before? I believe that the Psalms show us what healthy spiritual life looks like. You name everything that's happening inside of you. You give it language and expression. You articulate what the desolation feels like. And if you don't drag it up and give it words, then it gets buried down in your inner being somewhere. 
and it comes out in other ways, often unhealthy, destructive ways, and you keep it all bottled up, and you become miserable. But these prayers and poems in the Psalms have endured because they speak something true about our hearts and our minds and our hopes and feelings and desires and wounds. That's the power of the Psalms. And taking it one step further, that's the power of the Bible. So where do we begin? How do we tackle the Psalms? I'm going to give you a quick overview because it was tough trying to discern how to kind of fit this in to a a summer series. Because the Psalms are a collection of poetry largely consisting of prayers and songs, praising God, encouraging faith, and giving voice to human emotions. And I'm sure if you flip through your Bible at all, you'll, you've noticed there's 150 psalms, and they're written by numerous authors. Now, this year, I wanted to take a snapshot. I have a program on my computer, and it's all 150 psalms. And right here is the snapshot of it being broken up into the different authors. They're not all just the psalms of David. Uh, I believe there are 73 of them that are attributed to him. Although even that, sometimes when it says a psalm of David, it could be for David or psalm to David. But there are 73 attributed to him. Another 49 are anonymous. But then within the psalms, there's seven different genres. So now this is, it's split up into the genre, praise, lament, royal, wisdom, thanksgiving, hymn, trust. And if you wanted to just really narrow that down, you could pretty much get away with just lament and praise. And they exist with intention of one another because one doesn't exist without the other. And because they're Hebrew poems, they also have different poetic structures. There's three different structures that it can be broken down to. And last but not least, the Psalms themselves are categorized into five books. So you have just book one, two, three, four, five, and those are the, the breakdown of the psalm. And the size of the bubbles are actually the length of the psalm. So the really small ones are short, and the big 119 is the longest psalm in the, the Bible. And even that is a beautiful articulation of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a poem that it goes through. But while there's scholarly ways to organize these and interpret these and hold them together, the reality, like I've been saying, is that the Psalms speak to something deep within us. They resonate with us for a reason. The Psalms speak to our inner being. They speak to our soul. We're invited to encounter Israel's God the way Israel encountered God. So as I was studying the Psalms, I came across another pattern and way of understanding them that resonated with me. And I thought this would be helpful for us to see them in a new way this summer. So theologian Walter Brueggemann proposes that our life of faith consists in moving with God in terms of being securely oriented, being painfully disoriented, and being surprisingly reoriented. Our lives hold these seasons. And because the Psalms are born of lives lived and a willingness to speak the truth. The Psalms align with these seasons as well. So the Psalms can be viewed in terms of Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation or reorientation. So the Psalms of orientation, 
they reflect a perspective of safety and of trust, this sure sense of God's orderliness. And then you have the Psalms of disorientation, which reflect a perspective on life that's savagely marked by incoherence, a loss of balance, and unrelieved asymmetry. These cries are expressed in laments, dreams of revenge, and bleak doubt. And we'll go into it as the summer goes on, but the psalm that keeps jumping to mind is, if you've ever read Psalm 137, I believe it is, or Psalm 139, uh, where it talks about dashing their enemies, the infants, on the rocks. That's a pretty tough one to preach, and it doesn't often get a lot of pulpit time because it's a hard one to understand. But what, what I love about this pattern is that when you put it in this life that's marked by disorientation, in this sense of where's God in all of this, and vengeance and revenge, you begin to understand their heart and their lived reality. And then you have the Psalms of reorientation, which reflect the surprise that we know, that we believe, and that we desperately hope is on the horizon. Reorientation is always by the goodness of God. It's by grace through faith, and it's never just through self-help and getting ourselves out of it. The speaker who writes these Psalms is often surprised by grace when new life and new possibilities emerge. And the other thing to note that this isn't about coming full circle back to orientation. This reorientation or new orientation might seem similar to the old, the safer place of secure orientation, but it's now from a place having experienced a gracious and oftentimes difficult recreation through that season of disorientation. So that's why our subtitle for this series is Finding God in the Wilderness. Because life isn't simply an articulation of the place where we currently find ourselves. It's also this lived movement from one circumstance to another. We're constantly in flux. You see, the Psalms as we currently know them are the product of the Babylonian exile in 587 BCE, before Common Era. Which is kind of like, what? Well, let me quickly explain that Jerusalem was a thriving nation and had at its center the temple. And the temple was dedicated to Yahweh, the Christian God. And this was how they understood life. This is how they were oriented and understood God. Throughout the ancient world, temples were understood to be places where the gods resided. And you went to them to offer your tithes and offerings and sacrifices. The temple was the point of reference for all of life. So when their city was seized and their temple was destroyed in the summer of 587, its destruction meant the loss of their center. What was kind of keeping them, that center of gravity, keeping them balanced and in check. Suddenly they became painfully disoriented and they were left with some deep and troubling questions such as, has our God lost and been shown to be weak and defeated? With no temple to focus us and no palace to defend us, is it even possible to worship this God? In a strange and alien land, how will our faith be preserved, enlivened, and transmitted? 
In short, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So out of that, the Psalms became the working hymn book of what's known as Second Temple Judaism. When they were back at home after the exile, with the long, slow process of rebuilding in view, the collection was solidified with all of its familiar variety and messiness. Because they had just gone through this period where they had lost their center. So they began gathering these poems of praise, lament, anger, and consolation. Individual and corporate. Times of in orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And what I love is that they dared to say it all. Asking God to carry us all in all of our seasons. So the move between the seasons is transformational and not just developmental. That is, the move is never obvious, easy, or natural. It's always in pain and surprise. Can you see the power that the Psalms carried with them from generation to generation? They're, they're birthed out of this reality of we understand who God is. And you go into the season of everything I thought I knew has just been flipped upside down. But then you come out the other side understanding God in new and fresh ways. So where are you? What season do you find yourself in at the moment? Where do you currently resonate? And it might not be these, these huge moments. It might be small things in life. I know for me, I've had several seasons of disorientation where everything was just flipped upside down. I went to Bible college thinking, okay, this is going to give me all the answers, only to leave the church for the next four years wanting nothing to do with God. I went through a season of disorientation with having Landon. Man, alive, having your first kid was a shocker. And I remember the first time just being like, I don't know how to even find rest anymore. And I was wanting a day off, and my mother-in-law said, maybe it's not a day off, maybe you just need to look for those moments. But maybe for yourself, it's a job change, or the loss of a close friend, or a move. Recognize where you find yourself, but also respect where others may find themselves. Because what I find is, it's sometimes troubling and unsettling for us to hear about where other people are at, especially if they're in this season that they're articulating their anger and their doubts. Give them space to walk this journey with God, toward God, and if anything, walk with them in their journey. Because I know I've unfortunately been on both sides where God's been doing a work in my life and I'm judging my friends or God's still doing a work in my life, but I'm angry, and I have questions, and I feel the scorn from others. This is why our vision is even to connect, grow, give, go. It's not about isolation. It's about connecting with one another and growing together as we strive to make Jesus known. Because it's, it's Jesus that's going to change lives and transform our community. And you might be coming out of a season of disorientation 
And as you shift towards a new orientation, you're filled with praise and thanksgiving and joy. But again, that doesn't give you permission to look at someone else who might be sliding into disorientation with judgment. Remember that the Psalms help us recognize the seasons and learn to appreciate them and, and walk with one another through them. Because human life is a movement from one circumstance to another, changing and being changed, finding ourselves surprised by a new circumstance we didn't expect, resistance to a new place, clinging desperately to the old circumstance. But ultimately, what the Psalms help us to remember time and time again is that God is with us. And this is what I love about them, is you have this huge array of human emotion, but you're reminded that God's with you. And I believe that the Psalms actually find their ultimate expression and fullness when you then look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because talk about orientation. These guys, the disciples, they're walking alongside their master and their rabbi and their spiritual teacher. They're, they have the, the inside scoop. They're part of the inner circle. And then comes disorientation. Their, their leader is, is rested and sentenced to death, and they witness his crucifixion. And I'm sure they're asking questions, what now? What, what's happening? What, what's about, what about this promise of this kingdom that he's inaugurating and bringing in? But then three days later comes the new orientation, where Jesus is back, Jesus is alive, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he's proven who he said he was. And can you even begin to imagine those feelings? of confusion and bewilderment, but coupled with excitement. And you're like, wait, he, what? Like, and you're piecing it all together. And I think this is where we see the full expression of the Psalms lived out in the reality of Jesus. This is reorientation. This is new orientation. It's not simply going back to the way things were, but it's this forward movement. And it's a moving forward into a new reality, into a new world with fresh eyes, fresh understandings of how things are here and now. And the best part of it is that this is what we're invited into each and every day. It's a life where Jesus is Lord and Savior, that Jesus is King. It's a life that Jesus is making all things new, reconciling, renewing, restoring all things. But it doesn't mean that there isn't any darkness. It means that he's with us in the darkness. Brueggemann writes, And because Jesus has promised to be in the darkness with us, we find the darkness strangely transformed, not by the power of easy light, simplicity, and niceties, but by the power of of relentless solidarity. In and through Jesus, God is with us. So whatever stage you find yourself at tonight, are you going to make him king? Is he Lord? Will you look to him and fix your eyes upon him? If it's a stage of orientation, praise him for who he is. Praise him for what he's done. If it's disorientation, cry out to him, yell, cry, plead. But seek him. And if it's new orientation, thank him for being faithful. Thank him for being present. 
So my challenge tonight as we kick off this new series is to challenge you to pray one psalm a day. You can open your Bible at home or flip open your Bible app on your phones. You don't have to do them in order by any means. But start by reading or praying through one psalm a day. And if you can, try reading it with someone or to someone because many of them were meant to be for communal um, worship. But through the psalms, learn how to become honest, true, and personal in your dialogue with God. And as I mentioned before, if you don't learn how to be honest with yourself and with God and name what you're feeling and give it words, then it gets buried deep down. And it comes out in other ways. And probably the way that breaks my heart the most is that when we're not given permission to be honest before God and to truly name things, not only do we bury it deep down inside us, I believe sometimes we stay in the state of disorientation. But wherever you are, God is with you. Speak to him. You have permission to be honest. Use the Psalms to help articulate what's going on in your soul. So my hope is that through this series, as we dig into orientation, disorientation, reorientation, you'll be called into an even deeper and more truthful life in the presence of God. Because where else could we be but in the presence of God? Let me end with this Psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast.